I'm Ben Klunt. And I'm Stephen Brown. In 2019, we started this podcast as an accountability tool for our health and our business goals. Through our discussions, interviews, and sharing of our successes and difficulties, we've learned we have a passion for leadership. In 2020, we're striving to grow our own leadership abilities by focusing on learning from great leaders in business and life, and continue to share our successes and struggles on this journey. We'll continue to have raw and candid conversations while sharing our own insights and experiences with our goal being to grow as leaders and as people. You're You're listening listening to Ordinary to Extraordinary. Ben, let's see if we remember how to do this in person. We recording? Yep, looks like it. I have little audio signal and everything. Look at that. Yep. Well, first time back behind the mic, not just via headphone zoom situation. Yeah. Got some coffee. I got some. Back in the burgundy room. Body armor. We are in the burgundy room. Literally nobody here. Except for Hannah. Is that her name? Hannah? Hannah, yeah. Hannah, is there? She said it was busy yesterday. There was Fellow people co-working. here yesterday. Yeah. So everybody is practicing social distancing by not even coming in. I'm sure people are in and out. You know, if you don't need to be here now, I doubt people will be here. Yeah. Um, so, so today is May 28th. It's a Thursday. Not our typical Monday recording time, since it was Memorial Day on Monday. Yeah, where were you on Monday? Uh, I was at the lake for the morning, came back, uh, Weston took his nap in town, and then we had a social distance barbecue with the Pops. Nice. (laughs) Sorry for the weird, awkward silence. Every time I hear social distancing, I just, I can't take it seriously. I'm I'm just going to say it every time now, just to make it, I had a social distance, I'm going on a social distance walk this afternoon. Like, I think there's there's two camps at this point. You've got the fuck this, everything's going back to normal camp, and you've got the I'm scared of everything camp, which is actually really interesting because it's going to lead into what we're talking about today. <laughs> Our topic. Yeah. So, well, you guys, welcome to Ordinary to Extraordinary. <laughs> I don't even know what episode this is. This would be 73. 71? Oh, is this 73? Yeah, we released yeah. 72 with Matt Rogers this week. <sighs> That was a good episode. That was fun, too. He recorded from the passenger seat of his car with his wife. Beautiful wife, yeah. Yeah. She was pretty. Yeah, they're good people. Yeah. So that was a fun one. I enjoyed having him on. But thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Ordinary to Extraordinary mm-hmm. today. We're happy you're here. We are happy you're here. We're and, happy to be here. And can we just say, so there has been a steady trend for all podcasts, and I keep reading up on this. Declining that trend. People's numbers are dropping, yeah. and ours have been going up. We've held steady at least, yeah. We we've have. had good no, we've had good listenership show. Appreciate you guys listening. I've had multiple people actually tell me during COVID they're like, Yeah, mm-hmm. I picked up your podcast, I've been listening to it. Like, you guys are entertaining. Yeah. Except for that Scottish guy. <laughs> we're gonna have some jabs. We're gonna get at each other because we haven't uh, been able to record in person, so we were already <laughs> flipping each other crap before this. We are back to normal, it seems. Did I tell you that girl at the gym in Idaho recognized me? You did tell me that. Yeah. yeah. So I'll share with the listenership. I've been going to Idaho to work out. 
I don't care if anybody wants to judge me. You can basically go fuck yourself because everybody has their mental health routine. Mine is that I need to work out. It's not the same when I do it at home, regardless of all the tools that I have. It just feels different. There's something for me that's therapeutic about being in a place. For the record, I'm usually the only person in the place for big swathes of the workout. Anyway, I've been using my friend owns uh, two Anytime Fitness locations. So he's the guy I borrowed dumbbells from initially. As soon as Idaho opened up, reached out, joined up. I have been going out there in the mornings and starting my day in Idaho because I can write business anywhere. And I shared with Ben last week how I'd pivoted a little bit to uh, do business in a different state. Really thrive, basically, rather than be left behind and blame COVID. So, yeah, I'm at the gym and near the end of my training this girl comes in and I'm about to leave or go shower at least and she goes do you have a podcast and I was like yeah and we got to talk and turns out she knows who we are what we do likes a podcast she actually does video recordings online we follow each other on the social medias now and yeah we have some fans in Idaho as well That's really so cool. yeah well I noticed we had a lot of good listeners um like out of New York in the last, like, we had a, an inordinate amount of listens. And I was like, where the heck, who's in New York that was listening to we had that many listens? Maybe Dave Portnoy's listening to us and he wants us to be under the Barstool Sports brand. Yeah, there you go. He can buy us out. <laughs> <laughs> but, so I'm going to lead into today's topic with a quote, actually, I think, by Warren Buffett. Ooh. And I've been using this quote with clients and it just came to me. It's Warren Buffett's quote about be greedy when others are fearful. Mm-hmm. Right, and I I've been using it with my clients, but I've been changing it a little bit. And I said I'm going to take a twist on Warren Buffett's quote, and it's be greedy in the face of fear, right? Because I think it's not that people aren't fearful, and if you haven't caught on, our topic today is fear. It's not that people aren't fearful; it's that they push on through fear that makes them successful, right? So today we want to talk about fear inhibitor or prohibitor motivator, uh, detractant, what it is maybe some ways to work through it. It's, I think a lot of fear uh, is psychological. I mean, most of fear is probably psychological, right? I mean, there's some very real threats though in life. I know a thing that we talk about at the office with regard to the markets is that the actual same portion of your brain that is lights up when you're in a flight or uh, you know a death situation, like you're being chased by a bear, is the same portion of the brain that actually lights up when you lose money as well. So mm-hmm. same portion of the brain lights up. So you're going to react emotionally a lot of these times unless you have muscle memory, right? So just as you need to go with your muscle memory when a bear is chasing you, you need to go with your muscle memory and stick to the plan when a bear market is chasing you, right? So to be able to become successful at things, you need to persevere through the fear. So talking about fear today, and uh, I think we'll have some fun with this. Yeah. I knew you were going to come at this from the standpoint of your occupation, which is really it's fun because... I approached it from a completely different standpoint, basically from a entrepreneurial slash life standpoint. But I like that you always approach things financially, and that's not a negative thing. Yeah. So you come at it and go, "Hey, how does this affect me?" Well, I actually me have some I... thoughts on the entrepreneurial side as well too. Yeah. So we'll go back and forth on this. I think it'll be fun. Cool. So get us going, Ben. Let's uh, let's start with defining fear. I guess like <laughs> that's one of my talk about define the fear, right? I actually wrote that down as one of my little bullet points here because I, I think fear is something different for everybody I mean it's fear of letting down your family it's fear of being embarrassed in front of your friends it's fear of losing money it's fear of I mean pick pick it and a lot of the time people I think 
use fear of failure as an excuse for not doing something, right? There's this founder of Spanx. Uh, I, I, I don't know her name. I'm spacing out her name. But I know there's this famous story about her father, uh, when they would sit down at dinner, would ask each of the kids, I need you to tell me what you did today where you failed, right? And I know a lot of people have heard this story. So each of the kids would share a time in their day where they failed. Sarah Blakely. Sarah Blakely, there you go. And so they would share a time in their day when they failed, and that was celebrated, right? And I know there's been uh, many, many people have thrown events for business owners who have failed, right? Because it's like they took a risk and they did something that most people are never willing to do. I talk to a lot of young people that are getting into finance or that want to get into finance. And I talk about the emotional toll that it'll take on you. I talk about the time away from uh, family, if you have family at this point, in the evenings. I mean, it's every night that you're trying to build something. I mean, it takes a lot of, of risk and the failure rate is like 90 some odd percent, right? And so a lot of these people will go, well, no, I, I can't do that. Why? You're, you're right out of school. You have no family to support. You have nothing. I mean, if you're going to fail, fail quick, <laughs> fail quickly, right? Because, I mean, I think failure, <clears throat> excuse me, is stair steps to success, really, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the more you fail, the quicker you get to a successful point. It's the sports analogy, right? It's like you're sitting there and you, you, you make 10 hoops, it's like, well, yeah, but they didn't say the other 90 that I took to make the 10, right? So it's like people don't see all the back work, all the failure that had to be put in all the time to become successful. So, But inhibitor or motivator, uh, let's talk. I think it'd be interesting to talk from an individual standpoint. Fear of whatever for you, and then I'll do it too, is motivator or inhibitor, and how do you work through it? I like to start with dictionary definitions for a lot of things because I think a lot of people misinterpret English. You know, that's something that I've been pointing out a lot just now, that language is so important. And I'm going to touch on this down the line. Does your coffee taste bad? Because you just made a weird face. I was looking at the cup, actually. Oh. But yeah. Um, yeah, down the line, I'm going to talk a little bit about where we get our fears from, but I won't touch on that just now. But the dictionary definition of fear and I'm reading this, an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Mm -hmm. If you think about those three things, right? So danger, likely to cause pain or a threat. Mm -hmm. I'll start off by saying it's absolutely a motivator for me. I don't think I've ever been inhibited by trying something new or taking a step into the dark or you know, taking a chance on something that could or couldn't work. You know, I look at it from a, this is something that I've been talking a lot about over the last two months based on my stance of what's been happening within our state, within our country and globally. And somehow in the last 20 years, I'm going to say 20 years, maybe a little longer than that, we've taken this massive step globally as people as society to go from risk mitigation so knowing that there is risk looking at the odds essentially like an insurance company or um, an hr person or a, a health and safety person and going look there's definite risk here what steps can we take in order to mitigate the risk in order to be prepared when it happens but also keep normal things mm-hmm. moving on to complete risk aversion to where that's dangerous we're not going to do it Right, And if you think about it from that perspective, so it motivates me because I know that 
had the Wright brothers thought, well, if we get up for 30 seconds, what if we can't hold that, that aircraft in the air beyond that and we just smash into the ground like a fucking dart, right? Face first, boom, nose first. If they had that fear, if they hadn't mitigated that risk and said, hey, that might happen, but what if it doesn't? What if we're able to create these flying machines? Look where we are today because what the Wright brothers did, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are averse to risk, not only are you missing opportunity, you are... I have to believe that you're fucking miserable. Missing fulfillment to some degree, probably. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's okay to be aware of risks Mm -hmm. and feel fear Mm -hmm. and feel those feelings. It's not okay to always manifest them in your actions and literally guide your life based on this could happen, so we're not going to do that. I was reading an article this morning preparing for this a little bit. Uh, and it was a, uh, they were asking a business owner, basically, who's successful business owner, done well for himself. Like, were you ever scared, basically, when starting your business? Like, oh, my God, I was scared every day. <laughs> like, I was fearful every day of what could happen, right? Because I have employees that have families, you know, and it's like, if we fail, these guys are jobless, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that person used that as a motivator to be successful, Right. It depends, I think, on how you look at failure. I was thinking back to this, and I'm like, think of times that I failed, right? And the funny thing is, and I had to think about this, because I'm like, God, I don't feel like I've really failed much. And then I was like, interesting. You fail every fucking day. But I didn't. So hold on. (laughs) I didn't. I'm like, I don't feel like I actually failed, right? And it's like, and I was thinking about that job interview question. Like, describe a time when you failed, right? And I was like, how would I answer that question? And I'm like, I guess I'd, I had to think about it. And I had to identify points where I've, I've, like, I've fallen short of the end goal, which is technically failure, right? Mm-hmm. But I just never saw it as failure. So I, ha- I mean, like my, wine, my mind wasn't even wired to see the things that most people would see as failure as failure. Because, again, right, failure is a permanent or is a temporary impairment, right? Mm-hmm. So failure isn't the end all, right? I think that's something to keep in mind and that I have to remind myself sometimes is like, hey, yeah, you're, there's a risk and you'll take this risk. And I realize I'm talking more than Stephen is right now. We just discussed this before. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you're d- done and out of the game, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll stop talking. <laughs> you don't have to stop talking. When you've got something to say, say it, Benny Boo. No, there's one of the most famous quotes on earth. Zig Ziglar, he used to say, remember that failure is an event, not a person, not a thing. Yeah. It's literally an event. It happens one time. Now, you can wallow in your failure and you can... Or your fear of whatever. um, You can drag it out. You can make it something that lasts longer than it needs to be. But there's actually a Michael Jordan quote, paraphrasing a little bit, but I'm pretty sure it's... I don't remember the exact numbers, but he says, I've failed... Yeah. I've failed in my career. I've been trusted to take X amount of game-winning yep. shots, and I've missed this many of them. That's what drives me forward to keep doing it. You right? posted that, I think. Maybe, at yeah. some point. Like I said, I don't remember the exact numbers because he, he said it at a specific point in his career, and he'd obviously done the math before he did this interview so that he could have yeah. that quote. But the other thing is, I, you, you know, big Kobe Bryant fan, one of the things he always used to say is he's not failed until he stops shooting. So people used to criticize him all the time for taking too many shots. And 
this is an underused and underquoted way of thinking, I, th- I believe, in that he used to say, I would rather take 100 shots and miss every one than take 10 and stop shooting, right? So he's going to keep shooting because at some point he's going to get it right. Mm-hmm. And that's so powerful in business and life and relationships. And, you know, you've... And look, some people have asked me why I keep failing in relationships. I'm like, I don't fail in relationships. I learn. It took me a little longer to learn than most people because I'm 38 <laughs> years old and chronically single, I guess. But, you know, I've, I've been opening up I mean, I was yeah, and, and a lot. talking about fear for probably the better part of the last eight years, at least. I was terrified of being in a relationship. I was averse to it, right? I talked about mitigation versus risk, uh, aversion, sorry. And um, yeah, I was scared to be in personal relationships, not friends, like romantic personal relationships. And then in the last year, there's been a couple that didn't work out. But guess what? I'm probably in a better place. I learned a lot from both. Mm-hmm. And I learned that avoiding the risks of being hurt is much, much less fulfilling mm-hmm. than being all in and learning from it, right? So that's just one life example. Well, that's re- I mean, that's true, right? It's like what is the, the, better to have loved than to have never, or loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Yeah. Because then you know the feeling of it. But Stop being soppy, Ben. Why'd you go there? Because you read the Five Love Languages book. <laughs> Fucking book. <laughs> and liked it. I didn't like it. Yes, you did. You're misquoting me here. I learned from it. I fucking hate it. <laughs> Why do you hate it? Because it made me feel like an absolute moron. Oh, because you realized you were wrong? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so fear for me, um, and I guess this is kind of more of this whole conversation, it's more to kind of fear slash failure slash risk, so... Bear with us because uh, it started as fear, but now I think it's fear of failure, fear of involving risk and taking risks. It all kind of ties together, but just so people are aware, we realize we've morphed. We tend to do that. We tend to do that. That's just how we work. So I think about my fear, and I think I've told you this a little bit, is my fear is not being seen as uh, hardworking or successful. Or my fear would even better, like my fear would be being seen as mediocre or average. Is like my biggest fear in life. It's like if I say, it's like if I go, if I'm 50 years old and I look back and I'm just average and I haven't done something, had a meaningful impact on people's lives and people have to remind me of this sometimes now, haven't had a meaningful impact, haven't had, be it in people's lives, business, whatever it is, that it's going to be like, oh man, like that was a bummer. And so sometimes if I feel like I'm falling short of that goal, not my, my fear is that I'm not going to hit you know, this arbitrary goal that I've set up for myself, mm-hmm. then, uh, then I'm, I'm bummed, right? And you get bummed and you get into a slump and you don't produce as much, right? And I get into this mental headspace and start beating myself up about it. So that's been something that I have to stop and kind of overcome and think about it and even talk with colleagues sometimes. And they're like, and they, sometimes it takes somebody else to remind you, like, what are you talking about? Like, even with this podcast, sometimes it's like, what are we doing with the podcast, right? And, like, I don't know what the heck the end goal is of this sometimes, but we continue to do it. And then somebody will walk up to us randomly, say how much they value the podcast. A business leader will say, hey, wanted to thank you guys. I know we've had a lot of them after this. Thank you. It's, it's having a meaningful impact. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know how sometimes, 
But the fact that people say that is kind of what keeps you going on and pushing on through a lot of those types of things too. So yeah. uh, mine can be both a motivator or an inhibitor, uh, depending on how I look at it, right? Because I mean, I, I'm an emotional person, uh, and I can I can internalize a lot of things. So if I allow myself to do that, it can be an inhibitor. Yeah. If I, but it can also be that same mo- emotional aspect. It can also be a motivator. And it can be a hell of a motivator because it's it's going to hit me one way or another. I'm going to get emotional about it in, in a way that makes it an inhibitor, or I'm going to get emotional about it in a way where it makes it a hell of a motivator. Mm-hmm. And so I have to stop sometimes, take a few deep breaths, define whatever the fear is that I'm worried about. So it's like, okay, Ben, what happens if you don't bring in seven and a half million dollars this year, which is my goal? Not earning seven and a half million dollars, just in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> no, if I in new money and cl- new client money, right? It's like if I fall short of the goal, I'll I'll be my own worst critic. I'll beat myself up. I'll say I'm failing in my mind, but in reality, I just made a little less money. Still helped more people get closer to their goals, and I need to remind myself to take value in that, right? It's like, it's like, well, well, I think sometimes it comes, it's coming back to the root of whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. And are you making steps in the right direction? Sometimes we want leaps, but sometimes all we're going to get is steps. Yeah. So you're going to hate that I'm able to tie this back. But everything you just talked about, think Simon Sinek, start with why, infinite game. When yeah. you tie your results to a number I'm not gonna or a that. specific result... You're always going to feel like a failure. Yeah. But That's when you, why I like that book. When you tie success, failure, progress, however you want to look at mm-hmm. it, to a goal that's set basically because of why or because it can continue, doing good, right? So I think that's so powerful that when I you... so so It's okay to have that physical number you want to hit, all things being good. Mm-hmm. But you have to break that down and truly focus on the why, the how, the, 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 rather than the when and the what, right? Mm-hmm. I think the how and the why will always trump the when and the what. And, and you're setting yourself up for failure by constantly giving yourself drop-dead dates, drop-dead amounts of uh, money or, you know, this, I want 50 new clients this year. Mm-hmm. Well, have you ever, what if you get 40 new clients but they're, 40 clients that equate to 80 clients because you're doubling up what their worth is. Is that better than 50 clients based on what you've done before, right? So I think often our fears will lead us down these irrational pathways in our mind. Usually, if you take a step back and redefine your goals with a why and a how versus a what and a when, I think it's a game changer. Well, and uh, in that Infinite Game book, even as well, Simon Sinek says it's not failure. It's like your goals, you set your goals, so you get to adjust your goals too, right? So even if you didn't hit this finite goal that you had that will contribute towards your infinite game, the infinite game, which is just your life, the process, you know, the purpose behind it all, is change it. Mm-hmm. Like nobody says, yeah, I mean, you only fail if you quit, right? If you, uh, you know, seven and a half million was my, my goal and I don't hit it, that doesn't mean necessarily that I failed. I just didn't hit that arbitrary goal. I just need to bump it out. And sometimes I need to remind myself uh, of that because you get so focused in on this goal, this finite thing, because I think it's something we can actually sink 
our teeth into. It's a, it's, I mean, we've put a number to it. And for some people, that's a massive motivator. For me, it, it's, again, I go back to that internalizing thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, I didn't hit it. Oh, I go full Eeyore. And, you know, I don't like it. But you, you don't need to sound like him and look like him. It's okay just looking like him. You're, okay, you're going to get kicked under the table. <laughs> Lucky I'm wearing Sperry's today and not like a hard to yeah. or something. So, but on that, sometimes failing is the biggest success you can have, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes failing at something that you don't want to do, sometimes failing at something that you really do want to do, gives you the pathway to achieving it, Right. What is it Edison says? Look at us. We're all full of quotes today. Edison said something along the lines of, I didn't fail a thousand times at making the light bulb. I found a thousand ways not to do it. Yeah. yeah. Right? And again, paraphrasing, but um, I guess where I'm going with that is every true success story you'll ever hear about, right? And you can look at global entrepreneurs. It could be Steve Jobs. It can be Bill Gates. It can be Gary Vaynerchuk or Simon Sinek or any of those guys. They were abject failures early on in their careers. Now, they might have had successful things, but they'll all point to things that they learn more from doing things wrong, but not being fearful of doing things wrong and just jumping in and trying it. Steve Jobs lost his company, had to come back and have a second bite at the apple. Yeah. Nice job. You see what I did there? That was the best pun ever. (laughs) Second bite at the apple. <laughs> uh, Stephen likes it himself some of his own jokes. That wasn't planned at all, Did you and see it worked. Uh, I'm so happy with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this, this could be an outtake, or it could be really funny to share. Uh, um, but yeah, I, so for me, the only debilitating fear I believe that I have is the fear of spiders. Really? I avoid places that I've seen spiders before. Um, Interesting. I will get violent if somebody tries to put a spider on me, near me. I don't even want to see pictures. I smashed a phone a few years ago because someone sent me a picture, and when I opened it up, it was a massive tarantula arachnid thing. Whatever. I dropped the phone and didn't want to pick it back up. But I'd smashed it anyway. I had to get a replacement phone. It's so irrational. Like, I'll put people in the way. I've had girlfriends. They're like, will you kill that? And I'll move them in the way. Like, I'm just, there's a Stephen-shaped hole in the wall. Like, gone. (laughs) So I think that's my only truly irrational fear. Like, I don't, oh, it's... I'm not a fan of snakes. I don't like snakes. They eat spiders. I like snakes. But I, uh... I, uh, I don't want to hold them. Like if somebody has one, I'm not going to run away, but I'm sure as heck not going to be the person to hold a snake. Yeah, I hit a guy in Chicago. He thought it was funny and it was a big one and he had it. A snake or a tarantula? Not a tarantula. It was a spider he had on like oh, a napkin oh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And it might have been dead and he tried to like do oh, this. Yeah. And, and I'm showing Ben, like he reached out to me. I hit him right in the beak. Like I bust <laughs> his nose and then ran away and didn't know where the spider went. He dropped it. And he thought I was a dick. And I was like, dude, that's like the one thing that will... <laughs> you just put the fear right in my face. So like, I punched yours. There's not enough money in the world. You could offer me Jeff Bezos money and I wouldn't touch a spider. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about the whole thing of defining the fear. And uh, we did this 
with clients actually. Tim did a video on it. Tim, one of my colleagues, did a video on it recently, literally called Define the Fear. And we talk about this because people hate losing money, right? And here I am going back to that finance side again. But people talk about the fear of losing money. It's like, okay, so what does it mean if you lose money? Well, I can't retire when I want to. Okay, well, what does that mean? If you can't retire when you want to, well, that means I can't take the vacations with the kids, with my kids when I want to. Mm-hmm. Okay, what does that mean? Well, my relationship with them might suffer and so on down the line. So it's like defining the root cause of the fear and then working backwards through it, right? So whatever your fear is, I would say draw down to it because usually it comes from an irrational place. I mean, you think that it's going to be that you're not going to spend time with your family because you can't take the vacation, your relationship's going to suffer. It's like, well, you can't do family dinners instead? You're going to eat? You can't eat together instead? Like, well, oh yeah, I guess so. So, right? so it's like get down to the root of whatever the fear is and then identify if it's valid or not. We're all pretty rational beings. Yeah. I think when we dig down to the root of our fear, we realize that a lot of the time it's from an irrational place and we're using it as an excuse to not do what we know we need to do because mm-hmm. it takes work. Yeah. I think that's... It's it's powerful because I think we're kind of segueing into excuses as well. Yeah, I think add often that up on the fear. Well, often that. fear leads to excuses, right? Totally. Um, and I'm going to point to last summer, just after I met Jenna, and I didn't do it with a view to calling her out or um, anything, but you know, she was talking about me going to the gym, and you know, her thing was. Well, I can't go to the gym because I have a child and this, that, and the next thing. And work starts at this time, and I was like, well, wake up earlier, drop them off earlier. That gives you an hour to run, shower, do your stuff, you know, because she wanted to run. Now, in a playful way, I want to say she didn't do this in a mean-spirited way. She just went, you're an asshole because you just made me realize. And I think that came from a place of knowing she was out of shape but being fearful to take that first step. To get in better shape, not and she was far from out of shape. I just want to oh, say, oh yeah, no, she's in good shape. Um, but it was sometimes we need that realization from other people that hey, your excuse is born of fear, and if you'll just take that first step, right, just start, just fucking do it. Yeah, just do something, you know, and so that's a good example actually, which Anna and I'll, I'll twist it around a little bit, like we typically do. Especially because there's a child involved. So that's an hour that she's not going to get to spend with her child now, potentially, mm-hmm. right? Another hour more that he's in daycare or wherever he goes. I would say, and this is something I actually thought about before you brought this up, so it's kind of interesting, is figure out where your break-even is with a lot of these things, right? Don't let fear be the reason you don't do it. Because there's a lot of things where I'm like, I'm not scared to do it. I just don't want to do it, right? It's like, I'd like to do it, but I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put in the work. It's like, I, yeah, I'd like to just be, have tens of millions of dollars, you know, right now. And I'm working to get there. But for a lot of people, oh, God, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of sacrifice. They don't want to do that. Okay, yeah. fine. That's perfectly acceptable. Like in, in Jenna's case, it's like, if you want to tell me that you want to spend an hour more with your son versus going running, it makes 100% you know, that, that totally makes sense. I get that. I respect that. 
that's fine. But it's not fear that motivated that decision, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, there's risk and everything, but I, I, I don't let fear be the answer. And I'm not saying this was for her or, or that we're psychoanalyzing this case or anything like that. But don't let fear be the reason you don't do something. You can also just say, ah, I don't really want to do that. It's not mm-hmm. something that I'm motivated enough to take that risk to do. Mm-hmm. It's not because I'm fearful of failure. It's because I don't want to have to actually go through it all, and it's just not worth it. So yeah. sometimes stuff just isn't worth it to you, and that's going to vary depending on who you are as a person and what you value in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we're also right now, so we're in the the uh, almost post-COVID phase, right? We're phase we, two. We're, we're phase two in Washington. Obviously, there's still places that are completely locked down. Yeah. Um, but what I would say to that is we're in a position just now that we talked about this a few weeks ago where I mm-hmm. said, look, there is no excuse right now for you not learning something new, taking a chance on a business that you've thought of doing, changing careers, you know, taking that step to better yourself in some way, right? And please don't judge me for this, but I've always said I want to write a book. And I don't know what the book's going to be about. I mean, I've had different ideas. I've even started a couple of times. Um... One of them was going to be a collection of lewd stories that I've collected. Not all me, by the way, but like British guys that worked with for and around me. Um, we share a lot of funny stories from nights out and weekends. And I was like, that because there's guys that do that, right? There's a guy in the market right now called Tucker Max. And he wrote down all his college stories. The guy's a multimillionaire, very wealthy man now, entrepreneur. But he's literally got stories out there about him banging girls and doing some horrible things to women and not in a, a, a physically abusive way and then just being a piece of shit, basically. Um, and I'm like, nah, that's... So like I said, had a collection of these stories in my mind from other people. Some were mine, I'm not going to lie. And it's like, nah, that's not really something I want to be associated with publishing. I'll just keep those stories. I'm sure I've told you some over time. Um and then now, basically, I wrote down a, a title for a book last week. And I make notes all the time, right, on my phone. So I have it in a Google note. And I literally think I put the framework for a book together mm-hmm. and with a title. And I want to have the F word in it just because I think I use the F word a lot. But it's just be fucking better, right? That's what I want my book title to be. And it's that could be... Today I walked a mile instead of sitting on my ass and watching TV. That's better the next day, right? It can be today at work, I'm going to show up on time instead of 10 minutes late. I'm not going to take eight smoke breaks because I don't even smoke. I'm not going to spend any time on Facebook. Again, it's better, right? So I'm giving super generic examples, Mm -hmm. but I think we have this fear of just being better because we know if we're better, we have higher expectations of ourselves forget anybody else it doesn't matter what expectations anybody else has of you but i think once we take that first step it's like well now i've got to take the second and the third and the fourth and i've said this a million times to go the extra mile you don't really have to go a mile you just need to take a few extra steps because everybody is average Mm -hmm. everybody is based on what i've experienced so many people are happy with mediocre and if we take this back to the title of the podcast ordinary to extraordinary think about where we were that november and december when we started talking about this podcast we were fearful at that point this became an accountability tool because we're like well how do we get better we're both kind of pretty awesome at this and we were in a small segment of what we did 
but we've broadened our horizons because we I mean, we were shitting ourselves the first time we sat in front of these microphones, the first time we set a phone down and started recording, mm-hmm. right? Now it's second nature. We've put stuff out there that's both embarrassing, powerful, vulnerable. Totally. We had a fear of that initially. And look, and I'm going to brag a little bit on both of us. I'll tell you now that you and I are better people now a year and a half. How far into this are we? <laughs> year and a half yeah year uh, and a half. yeah probably 18 months give or take yeah, yeah we're 18 months this is the 73rd episode into this your production last year your growth last year the people that surround you that i'm also interacting with have complimented you they've complimented me about you and i think vice versa a little mm-hmm. bit mm-hmm. the feedback we get on this is about our growth and our potential and where we're going with this. The fact that we can have business leaders on here like Tom Simpson and then he thanks us. Yeah. I mean, that's a guy that's literally seed money, given seed money to huge. Millions. And it's not all about money. But then... But he's seen lots of good people. I would not have had the perspective, perspective so important, or the ability to go through the interview process I just went through. I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast Not either. The podcast, um, so I've just been promoted. I'll still do what I've always done, but I'm now going to sell into the enterprise level. So I'm going through Miller Hyman training right now, which is super sought after. What's like, the enterprise level mean? Enterprise level is based on needs. So an enterprise level company has complex buying and selling needs. So for instance, Salesforce, They've got everything from startups to enterprise level. So enterprise level, think Google, Apple, Caesars Palace, um, multi-chain restaurants. Big companies. That, yeah, huge. More revenue, more complex selling cycle, bigger needs for reporting. Um, usually their API is open. We have to write custom integrations and such. So it's a longer sales cycle. You're usually dealing with multiple mm-hmm. buying influences. A lot more moving parts. So whereas my career to this point has been talking with just business owners, Yep. Now I'm walking in the situations where I might have a CFO, a CTO, a CEO, a bunch of vice presidents, and I have to identify different buying influences and basically meet all of those. So it's a much, much more complex sales cycle. And I'll tell you, my I've three weeks into the training, my eyes are getting open to mistakes I've made, hmm. even though I think I'm a good salesperson. My eyes have been open. But the point is that I wouldn't have had the capability to be where I am now and have that opportunity without taking that first step. And I was, I've always been fearful of microphones, been fearful of being in front of camera. I was always the guy that wanted to be behind the camera. I never took pictures with the kids that I coach because I'm like, no, it's about them. Like, don't put me there. I want to be in the spotlight. And we thrust ourselves into the spotlight with this mm-hmm. and we were scared of it. And look where we are. We've grown from it. Yeah, totally. So there's a solid example, right? Yeah. Well, and it's benefited you. Mm-hmm. In, that, in that regard benefited me a whole lot a whole lot yep your iPad's fallen down yeah I'm actually signing a deal while we're recording this podcast somebody needs to be up and running by tonight so I've been sending text messages back and forward while we're talking <laughs> I'm giving me crap about being on my phone I'm still engaged you didn't even know I was know. too yeah I said oh, I didn't know I didn't see you sitting there on your phone shoot please I think at the end of the day it's don't let fear stand in the way of the things that you actually want to accomplish in life because fear, again, is just a temporary impairment. It's not permanent. It can't hurt you. The, the, I mean, the reality of fear is, is it's to be pushed through. It's to weed out the successful from the unsuccessful. So 
That would be my parting words. Yeah. Wait, you want to wrap it up already? Well, you're not talking anymore. I just said I was out of words. Oh, you're out of words? Wow. No, I think if I had anything else to say on this, it would be <laughs> that we are literally fearful based on our environment, right? And I think where fear comes from is something that we have to talk about. And I know you're going to find stuff to come back to with this. No, you're going to find more things to talk about when I bring this up. I think we are very shaped by media, by peers, and by influences that we surround ourselves with, Mm -hmm. sometimes unknowingly, right? So... I'm going to bash on the media a little bit. And by media, I mean traditional media. I'm going to talk news channels. I'm going to talk 24-hour news cycle. This was something that 20, 25 years ago, people realized was profitable, right? So you might have a belief, Ben, and I want to explain this 24-hour news cycle, where it came from and why it's so important to break out of trusting it, right? So right now, you are smart enough to look at multiple sources, Right, And I think I am too. And I think what we do is we we trust sources. We trust the media, right? So that person that's sitting there reading the news to us, that person that's given us their opinion, whether it be on Fox, MSNBC, CNN, uh, PBS, whatever it is, right? They're essentially giving you something with an angle. And we have to be able to extract the bullshit and understand what their agenda is and not base our actions on what's been delivered. Because here's the thing, fear sells, panic sells, salacious angles sell, all right? And the English language, and you know I'm big on this, is so important, right? And the case I'm gonna use on this is when we talk about modeling for COVID, we've created this atmosphere of fear based on the worst case scenario. What is never shared And bear in mind, these models are coming out of University of Washington, fairly local to us, Mm -hmm. with a professor and a bunch of really smart people who are probably smarter, book smarter than you and me. But what's not happening is they're given a model, and whenever you model, you've got best-case scenario, worst-case scenario, and basically unexpected scenario. And a lot of the scenarios that are being given to us right now are always worst-case. The way they're delivered with a salacious angle. And... I'll give an example. Poll says 65% of Americans don't want to go back to work yet. This is an actual example from last Mm -hmm. week. So the first thing you have to do if you're going to not be led by fear is go, okay, let's break this down. 65% of people, how many people were polled? Right? And this is a statistics class. If you didn't do this in college, if you didn't do a critical thinking class in college, there's all kinds of courses you can do for free online. I'm all about education and learning. It doesn't always have to be collegiate. So I've dug into this. 100,000 people asked, right? Now, I did some math on this. It was 120 maybe. Anyway, the math that I came up with was that if it, it said it was weighted based on age, race, and, and, and um, income, Right? So polls are always demographically weighted. So I'm like, okay, so that that leaves a broad spectrum. So you ask 120,000 70-year-olds and 1,040-year-olds, you you can then say your average age asked was, what, 55, 60? Mm -hmm. Guess what? That's that's skewed, right? So you have to look at... They're close to retirement. They don't want to go back to work. Fear should not be based on data presented by 
media unless you're willing to dig into the, so I, I did some backtracking I was like okay so that averages if it's done equally that's 2400 people per state our state has 7 million people in it and if it you ask 2400 so then if you ask 2400 people in Spokane County you're going to get a very different answer from 2400 people in the Tri-Cities and 2400 people in King County or Sajic County so all I'm saying is that you have to read beyond don't be led by fear because someone puts someone in the media dig into their sources and if they're not giving you sources ask for sources if you don't get sources guess what your gut feeling is probably a better source to trust than anything else well, the interesting thing about the media too, right, is like, how does the media get paid? The media gets paid by eyes, advertising dollars. Clicks, watches, advertising dollars. Yeah, which are and, all advertising. And if like, so the more eyes they get, the more salacious, the more crazy their headlines, the more people that tune in, the more eyes they get, the larger their ad costs are. Mm-hmm. So let me give you two stories. Today, Michael Jordan finished his game, went home, went to sleep, and woke up to go to practice the next day. Yeah. Or, or, today, Michael Jordan finished practice, went to the casino, smoked three cigars, left with an unidentified woman, and went to practice the next Ooh. day. Which one are people interested in? The unidentified woman. Exactly. There's a salacious angle. Guess what? He could have just walked out next to that girl. Maybe yeah. he knows her. Maybe it's his Lust sister-in-law. An unidentified woman. Could be anybody, right? But because you put that salacious twist on it, it's messed up. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think where fear comes Creates from is something important. that's not there. And how many times have I said, even on this podcast, don't fucking watch the news. I'll be put my hand up and say I've watched it much more recently. But in in, in interest of not so much traditional news, like sitting down and watching an hour of it, I want to see... What's this state doing? What's that governor doing? How are we getting our findings here? Because I'm super analytical. What's that? I don't ever watch the news. Yeah. I haven't turned the TV on to watch the news or turned it on the iPad or computer. Like I've not watched the news and I don't even know when. Mm-hmm. I'll read articles. I get onto website, you know, I get multiple emails usually is how I do it mm-hmm. from varying newsletters like pick three different newsletters that I have that I get every day here's the five top things right mm-hmm. and I read each of those and I check market watch which is a data aggregation basically news website that sources a lot of articles and yeah. know, runs a query on them and that's where I get it I'll read I don't necessarily watch the news yeah and, and I'm, I'm more of a reader as well to be honest when I'm collating this stuff and I will I will caution one more thing when it comes to fear Often, we look to confirm our fears with a really terrible thing that, again, over the last 20 years just seems to be much more prominent because of the internet and the ability to find articles and and, and, Mm -hmm. um, things that support your thought process and your beliefs. Confirmation bias can be absolutely debilitating as well. So you have this fear. Am Am I doing it right? Bear in mind, most fears are irrational, right? So we've already established that most fears are irrational. And you have a belief that Ben Clune is the worst financial financial advisor in Spokane because he uses this fund and nobody else uses it. So what you do is you go online and you look for reviews on that fund. You look for different things that other people have said about it who might not be qualified. And then you start sharing that. And you're like, look, see, 
this is why I believe he's bad, and, and it shows he's bad. Backwoods Joe that lives in a single wide said it was a bad fund. But what you exclude are the positive stories and the things that, well, this fund got me a 15% return over 10 years, right? And this is not financial advice, sorry, for Ben's compliance department, if you're listening. <laughs> so, but what I'm saying is that people go for, they, they try and confirm their fears using these articles and sources mm -hmm. and they're only looking at one side of it and mm -hmm. you can't go down that yeah. path confirmation bias is real and it's debilitating and it's awful well and so. i think a lot of the time confirmation bias in a different way is a lot of the time people are looking to be confirmed even in their path right they're so scared of failure they take a little step and they're looking at everybody and that's the other part about being truly successful is most people are going to look at you and they're going to be jealous mm -hmm. that you're doing something that they're not willing to do so they're going to look at you and say, wow, that's really risky. You sure you want to do that? Because they don't want to see somebody else be more successful than they are. People are just innately, <laughs> I mean, in a way, innately bad in that regard, whether or not they know they're doing it. But they are not going to be your advocate. So, I mean, you not only have to work through your own fear, but you have to work through and stifle the fear of others that are projecting that fear onto you yep. so that you fail so that they don't feel as bad about themselves. Yeah. Which is, talk about messed up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I wanna say one more thing, and if you wanna say one more thing as well, that's fine, Ben, but if I was to leave one piece of advice on the table from what we've talked about today with fear, I would say, when it comes to fear, approach everything from a standpoint of risk mitigation versus risk aversion. Don't avoid risk. Yeah. Mitigate it. Totally, agree. Yeah. So well, and that's I, what I was just going to say is to the, your point of your title of your book, even it's like just be better. It's like you don't just need, be fucking better. Yeah, I wasn't saying that. Uh, <laughs> just, just be better. <laughs> okay. So if you are risk averse, I, I don't think you need to go out there and just go and take a massive risk. But what I will say is take a small risk today, and then take another risk. Just like that micro habits book, right? It's like just get into the habit of taking a risk. It doesn't have to be a big one. Mm -hmm. Drive home a different way. Drive five miles an hour faster than you normally drive. Why are you giving people advice to break the law? Or slower. <laughs> I don't care what it is. Just do something that's out of your comfort zone, right? Yes. That, that forces you to grow and learn mm -hmm. and expand, which is gonna give you a better likelihood of success. 100%. So that's what I did with. Could not agree more. Yeah, and for you guys, uh, please, please, please like, review, rate, share, uh, talk about the podcast. Tag us on social media. That's fun as well. I've been yeah. noticing that people, some people do that. Um, it's also kind of fun to see, we've got some more podcasts starting in the area. Yeah. Someone that reached out to me for advice about six months ago, finally got his cool. podcast up and running. I'll nice. show you it off air. I don't want to talk about it yet but might be a little collaboration there. Um, interesting concept as well. They're going to talk about uh, basically their two recent divorcees and Ooh, sort of early 40s and trying to figure out what the hell they do with kids and all the rest of it, shared time. and So kind of an interesting topic. Very. Um, and he had asked me about it and got advice on equipment and how to record and edit. And nice to see him finally come, come to fruition with that. Um, but yeah, please, please, please give us any feedback that you have. Uh, I'm going to commit to something. I'm going to go old school here. Within the next 60 days, I will have an Ordinary to Extraordinary website up and running. Okay. 60 
days. 60 days. It might be a lot sooner Two than months. that. I just don't want to commit to doing it a lot Ordinary sooner Ordinary Extraordinary website. Already started building it. I have some oh, concepts. Dang, I didn't even know this, see? I bought the domain. You knew that. I we, bought yeah, the domain way that. back. That was a while ago. I paid for hosting and all that stuff. So technically there's a website there. I just haven't published it. Hmm. So I'll get some feedback and input from you. All the, all the, All of the episodes will be on there. We'll have some pictures and different things that we do and stories and maybe some articles that we share but i think long term i'd like to get some more video content and i've talked to you about that and yeah i'll even say yeah. this once we're actually open yeah and if you share us and you like us and you tag us in it steve and i'll buy you beer okay like we'll do an o2e beer day or something we'll pick a brewery we'll go and everybody can come and if you share it your beer's on us an O2E meetup, I like it. Yeah. O2E fest. O2E fest. Social distancing. <laughs> ben will do what Social he always does. He'll, he'll order a few beers and then leave and then text you on his way home like, oh God, I forgot to close my tab. Oh, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. Once in like, I don't even know how many years. And then by the way, for the next like two beer sessions after that, I bought everybody's. <laughs> so... Don't even try to... And it was a $5 tab. <laughs> you dick. <laughs> and I spent like 50 the next two. Thou doth protest too much. Doth get the sickest <laughs> out of your ass. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening. Thank you for um, listening if you're a regular. Thank you for listening if you're new. Um, if you think this is good, let us know. If you think it's crap, let us know. Your share reviews, it. ratings, and shares are really important to us. So yeah, hold um, on. What platforms are we on? All the platforms. What are all the platforms? How can people listen? We are on Spotify, which Joe Rogan's on now exclusively. By the way, okay. he ditched YouTube and Apple. You can't get Joe Rogan on Apple. Uh, we're on Apple. We're on Google Play. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Pod Pocket Pod Podbean. Um, run everything I mean I can literally so our RSS <laughs> I'm going to spit and try that again our RSS feed which is how you distribute a podcast is basically open so if it's a podcast platform you can download it Stitcher I left Stitcher out of that Stitcher's Google a pretty Play. big one um, I said Google Play oh, you did? Oh, okay. yeah so yeah we're on all of them if you try and find us on any of your podcast platforms well you're listening to us but if you want to switch platforms and you don't see us on there let me know I can always make that adjustment yep and yeah anything else Ben no cool until the next time be, be good, good to, to yourselves, yourselves and, do, and, and to do, yourselves wow as Ben as Stephen said in wow last. you stole my line I'm not doing the boom thing I think it's stupid boom alright bye folks boom uh-huh. Nothing to show, just climbing this rope right here And if there's a man upstairs, he kept bringing me rain But I've been sending up prayers and something's changed I think I finally found my hallelujah I've been waiting for this moment all my life Now all my dreams are coming true Now <laughs>
Now.